It has been thought that we as New Testament Christians do not believe in the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that is far from the truth. We do believe that it is a biblical truth that Jesus was born in a place called Bethlehem. And that he was brought into this world by a virgin named Mary. And that he was born into a cave or a stable, a place where they housed animals. That there was no room at the end of the reason why he was at that cave or stable. All of that's prophesied in the Old Testament. All of that fulfilled in the New Testament. We read about it in Matthew 2, Luke 2, about the birth of Jesus. We also understand that in order for us to be a New Testament Christian, we have to believe that fact, that biblical truth. Because it coincides with the fact of the death, the atoning death of Jesus on that cross. And that he was buried on that day, the next day, and rose from the grave. All of his resurrection as well, the death, burial, and resurrection, is those Christian facts of our faith. But, we don't know when he was born. And if we did know, there is nothing in the word of God that gives us any scriptural reason or facts that we should celebrate it. Have you ever thought about that? We don't even know the actual date that Jesus died on the cross. Hmm. But he did tell us that we are to observe his death as a memorial upon the first day of the week. That's what's important. There are some that will tell us that there's a war on Christmas. Right? There's a war on Christmas. How interesting to think about that. I must say that I'm rather sympathetic to those who believe that there's such a war going on. In fact, I believe that for some time now we have seen secularists in our world do everything again to rid from society anything that is remotely akin to what may be called Christianity. Now the left will call the rest of us homophobic, Islamophobic, or xenophobic. I believe that they are Christophobic. 
I believe that there are many out there on the left, politically speaking and religiously speaking, who really are afraid of the Christ of the New Testament. And anything that is remotely connected to him. And therefore there very well could be such a thing as a war on Christmas, but really it's a war on Christianity. But this morning, as we hear so many people say, let's put Christ back into Christmas, I want us to go a step beyond that. Something that is a little bit even more important, even more important. As Christians, we want to make sure that we put Christ in the name Christian. I think that's where we've fallen short. Putting Christ in Christians. We might ask, what do I mean by that? I mean that the world around us needs to see Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to understand that we can have an impact upon our society as being positive, as being true and faithful New Testament Christians. They have said for years that preachers live in glass houses. I want to go a step beyond that, that we as New Testament Christians live in glass houses as well. Your neighbors are watching you. They want to see, are you really a Christian? Although they might not have a standard by which to judge that, but their standards might be even higher than what we might think our standards should be. We want to do the very best we can. As a Christian, we want to be good citizens. To serve our nation, to influence our nation for that which is good. As we think about keeping Christ in Christians, we realize that we are citizens of a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of Christ. Not just an earthly nation. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And being citizens of a heavenly kingdom always takes precedence over anything else. We would always obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. And so at any time that the laws of our land stand in conflict with the laws of God, we don't hesitate. We will choose to stand with God. Not with the laws of our land. But let's think this morning about who we are as a people. And how we can best impact our nation and our society as we're about to come up to a new year as well. By keeping Christ in Christians. Here's the first thing that we can do. We can definitely pray for our leaders. We can pray for our leaders. You know, those who lead our nation oftentimes receive a, a lot of criticism, of which is sometimes justified, but oftentimes it's not. 
But one thing that we can do is to be consistent with biblical teaching and to pray for the leaders of our nation. They need it. I have prayed consistently for former President Bush. I have prayed consistently for former President Obama. And I'm praying consistently for President Trump as well. And whether or not we believe he should be impeached, we are still to respect the office of the presidency. No doubt. We ought to pray for all the leaders in our nation, whether it be the national leaders, whether it be the state leaders or the city officials. We ought to pray for those who sit in council with them because we know that those who sit in positions of leadership need to have good, honest, and wise people looking out for them, advising them. Now, if we want a real positive impact upon our country, instead of first criticizing, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's be prayer warriors, because if we don't pray, who else will? Well, God's going to hear us, though. And the reason why I know that God will hear us, in James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, doesn't it? In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, that's an Old Testament passage where God says that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now specifically, God will hear the prayers of his people. And so if we live our lives where we are penitent before God, when we have sinned, And if we're willing to confess our wrongs before him, when we fervently pray, God will answer our prayers. He will answer our prayers. And so what can we do as Christians to have the greatest impact upon our nation and upon our society at large? We need to pray for our leaders, don't we? Notice this passage from the Apostle Paul. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're commanded by the Apostle to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why? For this is good. And acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. 
Paul tells us the reason why we need to pray for our leaders so that we as Christians can go about our business quietly, peaceably, doing the will of the Almighty Father without fear of persecution. Now when you study the book of Acts, you will notice that indeed the cause of Christ can prosper even when there's persecution. But Paul says that he didn't delight in such. He didn't delight in such. And he, that it would be, a, it would be better to pray for our leaders that we may be able to go about our business peaceably rather than having to suffer persecution. Pray that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul had said here, he said, Brethren, pray for us. And here's the reason why. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is for you. Isn't that wonderful? There are some today who are trying to preach the gospel in difficult places. We need to pray for them. They are they're in difficult places because the governments of those nations are not favorably towards those who are trying to preach the gospel. We have brethren today who are worshiping in particular countries of the world where they had to do it in secret. Undercover because of the fear of civil authority. Isn't it wonderful to know that when we can worship God here in this land and do the work of the church, but without fear of being persecuted? Although some have tried and are trying without the fear of civil authorities, although we have many who are trying their best in trying to close down the doors of church buildings if we don't accommodate their way of life or lifestyle. Bullies who have done so much in causing some businesses to bow down to them and have now changed their policies. But Paul says, we are to pray to that end Pray for kings and for all that are in authority and pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty and pray that the word of the Lord may have free course. Let's pray for our leaders in our country, but not only that, we must be mindful that there are world leaders as well who need our prayers. World leaders. There are some world leaders who may be our friends, but others who are our enemies. Pray for them. Pray that the hearts of world leaders may desire peace so that not only in this country, but throughout the world, we can freely preach the gospel. For all men who are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, pray for the leaders of the world. And when you pray, pray that right may prevail and pray that wrong may be defeated. Because of the gospel's sake, pray for the expansion of liberty and freedom and pray for peace. 
everywhere. Would it not be wonderful if you think about it? If we had the opportunity to go into every nation of the world without the fear of any civil authorities, being able to go in and preach the gospel, and we can't do that right now. But pray that we can one day. There was a time when President Ronald Reagan came into the White House briefing room on one occasion. and It was just a few days before Christmas. And after he had said a few words to the press and had answered some questions, he was about to leave when one of the journalists said, Mr. President, he says, what do you want for Christmas? He stepped back for just a moment. And he, he says, I, I think you know that in my position that I really could only say one thing, and that's world peace. More than anything else, that's what I like to have for Christmas. And then the reporter followed up by saying, well, but what about in a box? He said, if we could put peace in a box, that's what I want for Christmas. Because when I open up the box, peace, peace will prevail. If I can get it in a box, I'll take it in a box. I couldn't help but think about and be reminded about the one who did bring lasting peace into this world, Isaiah 9, 6. Oh, you might remember these words spoken of the Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be one called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But when you go to Luke chapter 2, right, a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy, we read, just noticing beginning in verse 11, what the text says is this. He says, for unto us, here's the angel speaking to the shepherds, in the, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a box in a manger. You see, if peace could come in a box, it came one time in a box, in a manger. Peace does come in a box, doesn't it? For that's where our Lord Jesus was found. And so you, you want to pray in Jesus' name. We pray that the light and love of Jesus might be spread far and wide. Christians, we need to make sure that we pray for our leaders. Putting Christ back in Christians means that's what we'll do. Putting Christ back in Christians means that we're not only going to pray for our leaders, but we're going to preach to the nation. Preach to the nation. I want to go back to an Old Testament passage, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1. 
And I want us to listen to what God had said that he wanted the preachers of Isaiah, Isaiah's day to do. Isaiah 58, verse 1. He said, I want you to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. What our world needs today is a whole lot of preaching. Gospel preaching. I sometimes take offense when someone stands to speak and he says, I'm not here to preach to you, but to give you advice. What? I'm not here to get advice. I want to hear the word of God. Listen. God says we need preaching. We need more preaching. We need more true, genuine, genuine, biblical preaching. That's what our nation needs. And so as a preacher of the gospel, I stand amazed to look upon our society and see the transgressions that is taking place in our world today. That takes me back to the Apostle Paul when I think about those who are shaking their fists to Almighty God. That we're going to do what we please. Takes me back to what was read just a few moments ago by Brother Jim in Romans 1. This sounds exactly of what you will find in a newspaper or in a magazine or even on the internet in relation to our own society. He talks about those beginning in verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
Do people engage in any of that kind of corruption today? Yes, they do. Why? Every sin that is mentioned there, people engage in that kind of debauchery today. It's sad, isn't it? What's the answer? The answer is in preaching the gospel of Christ. And in this very chapter, Romans 1, Paul stated, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Oh, I understand that for many, the preaching of the cross of Christ indeed is foolishness to them. But to those of us who are saved, to them that believe, it is indeed the power of God, if you will. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says, you remember this verse, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Not that preaching is foolish, but to those who want to reject it, who don't want to hear it, it's foolish. But it's still how God saves us, isn't it? And you cannot improve upon what God has done. You you know, Noah preached the saving message to the antediluvian world, but they rejected that message, didn't they? They rejected it. But his message was still good. If his message had been heeded, there probably would not have been a flood. What does America need today? No, it's not a flood. What America needs today, it needs more than anything else. It needs some old-fashioned, old Jerusalem Gospel preaching. Bible preaching. It needs the gospel spread from coast to coast. It needs some mamas and some papas who are once again committed to rearing their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Romans 6.1 or Ephesians 6.4 It needs some houses of worship filled with capacity to take Christianity seriously again. That's what we need in our world today. That's what we need in our nation today. And so what can we do as Christians? Well, putting Christ back in Christians means praying for our leaders. And not only that, it means preaching the gospel. Preaching to our nation. How do we do that? Through a pulpit like this one right here. Not just through the pulpit, but likewise through our Bible classes. Thankful for our Bible teachers as well. Through home Bible studies. Thankful for those times. It happens in school with your classmate. It happens at work with your employees, your co-workers. It takes place in family with friends talking about Christ. Talk about Christ. Let him be an active part of your life. Let his name be that which is found regularly in your vocabulary. Right? We need to preach to the nation. And here's why. Everybody in Our country and throughout the world is suffering some kind of hurt. Did you know that? 
How many times have you said that? You know, I thought I was hurting until I met so-and-so. I don't have a thing wrong with me. Because now I realize somebody's suffering more than I am. Mine's nothing compared to theirs. Nothing. Everybody's hurting. And anybody who's ever been affected by sin hurts. And the entire world has been affected by sin. Likewise, all men need the same help, the help provided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of all mankind, they can have the same hope. The hope that's found only in Jesus the Christ. The hope that's found only in him. Putting Christ back in Christians means that we're going to pray for our leaders. Number two, we're going to preach to the nation. Here's number three, our final point this morning. If we put Christ back in Christians, it means we're going to practice our religion. That's it. When we say and don't do, then our message falls on deaf ears, doesn't it? Go, go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And remember, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All right, we know that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But here in Matthew chapter 5, you might recall these words that he spoke to the multitude, beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 5. He says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden, and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Remember, a Christian is one who's a follower of Christ. Right? The word Christian can be found in the New Testament three times. In Acts 11 and verse 26, they were first called Christians in Antioch. And then in Acts 26, 28, you remember that the Apostle Paul was preaching to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And then in 1 Peter 4, 16, we read that if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on, his, on this behalf. The word Christian found three times in the New Testament, and it denotes a follower of Christ. Now, if I said to you, once a person is a child of God, he's always a child of God, would that be true? It could mean that one becomes an erring child of God, but he's still a child of God. But he's an erring child of God. Brother Curtis Gates used to remind us in class about the word Christian. Once a Christian, always a Christian. Not necessarily. Once a child of God, always a child of God. But one can become an erring child of God. But there's no such thing as an erring Christian. Because you see, a Christian denotes a follower of Christ. And once you're not following, 
you're not a Christian. You're an erring child of God. He's one who's faithfully following his Lord, a Christian. And he likes in that service. You remember in Philippians 4.4 when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Right? Oh, the impact that Christians can have on the society when they live their religion. When they live Christianity, when they practice what they preach. In Acts chapter 17, we find in Thessalonica some Jews that had uh, assaulted the house of one Christian. The, the name is Jason. And his household is arrested for the cause of Christ. And so what really has stirred the unbelieving sin, Jews in that city is the preaching of Paul and Silas of that time. Paul and Silas, he said in verse 6, these are they that had turned the world upside down are come hither also. Uh, maybe it would be better to say that they were trying to turn the world right side up, right? That's it. For the world was already upside down. But that's where what the world will say about us as Christians, when Christians practice Christianity, these folks are turning the world upside down. And so for us as Christians, what do we do? It is our noble purpose, if you will, to study him who died for us. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Practice your religion. We're talking about Christians, putting Christ back in Christians and the enormous impact that Christians can have on a society as a whole. We need to pray for our leaders in this coming year. Start today. They need it. Not only that, we need to preach to our nation regardless of the circumstances. And then number three, we need to practice our religion, don't we? Practice our religion. Practice what we preach. If, that, if it's right, we do it. If it's wrong, we oppose to it. In Matthew 1 and verse 20, or Matthew 12, 21, it says, And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. The American Standard Version reads as this, And in his name shall the Gentiles hope. Hope. I like that. People are looking for peace and security and hope. Right? That's what it is. We're so often looking in the wrong places, aren't we? Well, there's only one place. To find tr true hope and that is in Christ Jesus. His entrance into this world indeed brought hope. The world is different because Christ came into it, right? Very important that we understand that. But he wants us to be in him. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have that hope that I was just talking about. We can have that peace. We can have that security as well. If you're here not a Christian, the time is now. Tomorrow may be too late. Oh, I know we're all prepared for this week. We might be prepared to go back home for our visitors. We might be prepared to go back and be with family. But we don't know that that's going to happen. We had to be prepared to go to heaven. Because unpreparedness leads you to that place called hell. 
And nobody wants to go there. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He came to this earth to live and to die for you personally, are you willing to make the necessary changes called repentance? Are you willing to, to make that good confession? We'll take your confession. But then we'll put you down into the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away. To become a child of God. To be able to live the Christian life, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world so that others can see. And then to live faithfully until that time comes where either Christ comes back in judgment or we die to meet the Lord to be judged. You want to have that peace? You want to have that security? You want to have that hope? Those are the things that you need to do. If you're here, have become an erring child of God because you've allowed sin back into your life. Repent of that and pray that God will forgive you and will pray with you and for you as well. Can we help you this morning? Why don't you come as together we stand and sing?